Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Memes, The Guardian's regular podcast from Brexit land, and I'm John Henley. At the end of this week, Theresa May will make what was billed in advance as the third big policy statement laying out the government's overarching vision of Brexit, after her Lancaster House speech in January and the Brexit white paper that followed. So a time, one might think, for ministers to rally round and project an image of assurance and unity about the whole project, particularly since, as you'll know if you're a regular listener to this pod, negotiations haven't been going entirely swimmingly of late. Instead, though, the Prime Minister's Foreign Secretary delivered himself of a 4,000-word essay painting a lyrically enthusiastic but often exaggerated, contradictory and occasionally downright inaccurate picture of the glorious future awaiting Britain after it had escaped the gigantic and ever-tightening cat's cradle of red tape that is the EU after Brexit, the country's great new national enterprise in which, of course, it would succeed mightily. To be fair to Boris Johnson, he backed the Prime Minister's core red lines. An exit from the single market and the customs union and an end to the jurisdiction of the European Court of Justice. But he had nothing to say on a transitional deal and he rejected any notion of paying the EU for the right to trade with it. Which was a shame because under the influence of Chancellor Philip Hammond, the cabinet had seemed to be edging towards precisely that kind of gradualist arrangement, certainly for a two to three year interim period during which most things would stay pretty much the same and the final relationship could be sorted out. So what is Boris playing at? How divided? Is the cabinet really? Or is this just the foreign secretary playing Tory party politics? How has it all gone down in Europe? And what implications might it have for the Prime Minister's Florence speech? With me to discuss these burning Brexit questions are The Guardian's deputy political editor, Rowena Mason in Westminster, and Brussels bureau chief, Dan Boffey. Rowena, starting with you, Now, a lot of the focus on Boris's article was on that infamous £350 million a week claim. Uh, I don't really want to get into that because it's all so demonstrably wrong. And incidentally, I see that just this morning, the IFS has punched another hole in it. It says that far from having £350 million a week extra available for public spending on anything at all, the UK is actually more likely to experience a fiscal loss as a result of Brexit. But that aside, what do you think's going on here? Is it possible to distinguish, uh, you know, a, a sort of a pure personal ambition on the part of Boris from this a hard Brexit resistance movement inside the government? 
Um, I think it's very difficult to disentangle those two things because for Boris Johnson, his personal ambition is very much bound up with whether Brexit is a success in his eyes or not. Mm. And what I think the Telegraph article over the weekend uh, was doing for Boris Johnson was he, he was hitting back at what he sees as Brexit taking a wrong course as it is steered by Theresa May and Philip Hammond and to some extent David Davis. He feels that this softer Brexit approach of maintaining the status quo Mm -hmm. um, won't be radical enough um, when it comes to voters being satisfied that Brexit is exactly what they wanted and they voted for. Um, He sees it as not being positive enough. He's worried that this promise that the vote leave gave to give uh, £350 million to the NHS won't be honoured. And whatever you think about the rights and wrongs of those figures, he, I think, would argue that uh, the government should give some consideration to promising whatever's left over from, if there's anything left over from um, clawing money back from, from Brussels after Brexit, that should be promised for the NHS. Yeah, some sort of nod towards what that campaign was, was, was arguing for. And on the other side, you've got Philip Hammond, who would probably argue that Theresa May and Philip Hammond weren't the ones making those promises. It's really Boris's, um, Boris's problem, and that's the bed that he's got to lie in. And he didn't go for the leadership uh, last year, so he... He doesn't necessarily get so much of a say in the direction that Brexit should be going. Mm. But um, for Boris personally, I think he does still harbour some ambitions uh, to be leader of the Conservative Party. And if those are ever to come to fruition for, for him, um, he he's going to want the public to think that Brexit's being carried out in the fashion that Vote Leave promised. And he's worried that it, it is all going wrong for him right if it goes on for much uh, for much longer in this direction um he thinks people will will be disappointed and in his chance of becoming leader will fade yeah and how, and how much support does that view have in the cabinet and critically also i suppose in parliament but at the beginning it, uh, when you, when the article was first published it looked like it was only supported by a very very few hardliners like jacob rees mogg mm-hmm. um and ian duncan smith and nadine dorries but as the days have gone by, um, Michael Gove has sort of reluctantly shown his hand um, and, and tentatively backed Boris Johnson, despite their falling out over the leadership last year mm-hmm. when Michael Gove scuppered Johnson's chances of being leader. It does look very much like there is a coordinated vote leave effort to mobilise, to defend the principles of that winning campaign from last year, which they feel are being betrayed by the kind of direction that Brexit is going in at the moment. And that puts Theresa May in a very difficult position Mm. for her speech on Friday. Absolutely, yeah. She Um, might have been trying to, you know, she she might have been trying to move towards a softer Brexit position, a, a more concessionary position where she was offering things to Brussels. But it's been made very clear that Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, potentially people like Ian Duncan Smith as well, are lining up on the other side to say, don't you dare... (laughs) <laughs> right. That it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Leaves her, in, as you say, in a very, very tricky, tricky position. Dan, how's that all playing in Europe? I mean, for the EU27, surely it looks pretty much convincing further evidence that, that the UK is basically still arguing with itself over what kind of Brexit it actually wants. On the other hand, I suppose in Europe, they know Boris quite well. They do know him very well from his time as a Brussels correspondent for The Telegraph. Um, <laughs> he's also had a reputation for rather embellishing stories, sort of, sort of colourful yarns about um, regulations of bananas and, and, mm. and such. So yes, he has a bit of a toxic reputation. Um, uh, I understand the French foreign minister, for example, 
uh, pretended not to be able to speak any English for the first few months of their relationship, just to put him on edge. Um, he's, uh, he's not well liked. So that, that's fact to him. When they hear Boris Johnson talking, that they know that they know the politics, politics of all, and they, they fact it in and think, that, well, that's not the British government speaking, that's Boris Johnson. We know about Boris Johnson. Mm. But a few things that in the substance of what he was saying in his article, and the very fact that it does seem like the vote leave are sort of coordinating and and trying to make more of themselves uh, in the in the Brexit debate within the cabinet. A few of the substance bits that do alarm them is that a, there was a suggestion that there could be regulatory divergence. So he was, Boris was saying that uh, in time we will diverge from the EU body of law mm. um, so we could be a sort of more low, low regulation economy. Yes, I mean, he, I mean, he promised, and it was a very contradictory promise, wasn't it? I mean, he said yeah. that British regulation would be absolutely in line with EU regulations and it's sort of pretty much three bar- later said of the, the Britain would become a pioneer in, in kind of, you know, uh, looser regulation. <laughs> yeah, it was. And it's absolutely what the EU side have been saying the whole time about, oh, you want to um, you want to leave the single market, but have sort of frictionless, frictionless access mm. to it. Well, you can't if you're going to change your body of law, if you have lower standards in various things, then we need to check as goods come through the borders. To, you know, and we understand that once you leave the EU, you, there will be divergence. So that was what they always said to the British. And then Boris Johnson's confirmed it. He said, yeah, and then we will diverge. We'll mm. be low regulation. So that set up alarm bells. Um, it seems to sort of reverse all the stuff that Hammond and others were talking about, kind of status quo in the transition period. And then after that, being as close as possible to the EU acquis, that, that seems to have changed. Then the money thing, um, uh, what they will like is the fact that Boris talked about settling the accounts. So that's good. They like that sort of that mood music. They mm. don't like, well, some of the EU member states are quite hawkish about the idea that if you continue uh, uh, to have access to single market, a status quo, a bit of a, we'll fudge it legally so you can, Britain continue during a transition period to have access to single market. Well, they're going to have to pay for, for that because everybody else does. It's part of making the single market work properly that money goes to the East, East and Central European mm. states to make sure they're sort of, they're, they're up to standards. So that that's going to upset people. But I think that the bigger problem it's not even substance. It's the it's the further evidence, further evidence, as you say, John, of the British don't know what they're doing. There's the Tory, there's the latest incarnation of the Tory infighting that's led us to Brexit. Um, where will take Britain next, and where it will force the EU to go next? We don't yeah, know. Yeah. Can the British government be trusted um, when it makes decisions? When Theresa May makes assurances during negotiations, well, can they be trusted? Because this British government looks like it could collapse at any moment. Um, so those are the concerns. And then, of course, they want to move on. They, this is incredibly frustrating. This is months and months and months, 15 months since the referendum result. Jean-Claude Juncker did his State of the Union speech uh, last week saying how we're going to move on. We've got bigger priorities. This is, this is a bit of a headache. They want, they want this to be done. Um, so those are the concerns from, from Boris's. I think there was a suggestion, wasn't there, this week from a, from one European think tank that things might be getting to the stage where, where the EU is actually going to have to sort of lay out options for Britain to choose from because it appears to be completely incapable uh, of coming up with a coherent position. Is that, is that likely, do you think? I, I, I don't think that's likely because um, it would take an awful lot of organising for the EU27 mm. to agree on each of those options. I mean, if you look at just the Article 50 guidelines, that took a lot. Yeah, they, they, they boasted about it taking four minutes to agree, but that was the signing at the end uh, summit. It took, it took a lot of work um, of the various Sherpas from the various capitals coming together, trying mm. to agree on this is what, how we agree things will move forward. 
uh, this is what our position on these various areas. To actually do that for sort of various different options would be, mm. um, I think, almost impossible. So, yeah, almost impossible. So I think no, it's also British. I mean, Barnier said about the Irish problem: it's, you, you broke it, you fix it. Mm. And it's for, for the British to come up with a response. And actually, the EU, as I say, they feel like they've moved on. They don't want to be spending all their time. Mm. Trying to help Britain along, they've got their, their, you know, they're starting their trade negotiations with Australia and, and New Zealand. They've got other things to do. So I, I yeah, no, I don't. That's, that's probably that not going to be a per- okay, no. um, Rowena. That, I mean, there's been a, a bit of talk since the weekend, hasn't there, of the Prime Minister sort of trying to take back control of the process. So, so we're told Boris isn't going to be sacked. Uh, he might be sort of politely asked to toe the line. Another possible sign: Ollie Robbins, who, who's of course the UK's chief negotiator in the Brexit talks, uh, has been moved across to the Cabinet Office um, after what was said to be sort of tensions with the Brexit Secretary David Davis. Um, I mean. How strong is the the prime minister? Can can she is 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 she will she be capable of stamping her authority? What authority she has on Brexit? Um, and how accurate do you think this picture that we're we're being given in the media, at least, of sort of complete chaos behind the scenes? How, how accurate is that? I think the uh, chaos is a more accurate representation than Theresa May being in charge of things and stamping her authority (laughs) and uh, ordering uh, cabinet ministers to dutifully toe the line. Mm. Because the reality is she is in a very weak position when it comes to Boris Johnson. She can't sack him quite at the moment because she's worried that if she does so, that that would trigger a leadership challenge. In fact, the, the Boris article at the weekend was almost daring her to do so. And so she's she's really got to sort of put up with this insubordination and even possibly go so far as to, to negotiate with him and the other vote leavers to see what would satisfy them in terms of uh, in terms of a compromise. And it makes it much more difficult for her to um, go down a, a soft soft Brexit hmm. um, concessionary path uh, when she makes this keynote speech on Friday. So we were expecting her to, to make an, possibly a financial offer to Brussels and say, this is what we, you know, we, we'd like to contribute and this is how long we'd like to contribute for. Mm-hmm. But that's very difficult. Boris Johnson said that that wouldn't be acceptable to him. There's there's a, now a distinct possibility that we might hear something really quite boring and a repeat of the Lancaster House speech. Just another sort of set of yeah, bromides. Yeah. Exa- exactly, a Brexit means Brexit speech. Mm. Uh, having decided that she'd fly out to Florence to give this great big set piece. And she, actually it's going to be a damp squib. Well... I, th- I think it. she's going to have to announce something, hmm. but um, whether she will be brave enough to stand up to Boris Johnson and the other vote leavers, because it's not, it isn't just him. I mean, it is Michael Gove is hmm. behind him to some extent. Um, people like Priti Patel, because um, she's hmm. kept quiet publicly, but is likely to be of, of, of a similar mind mindset. Um, so she's she's in a very very tricky position. She's she's you know she's saying that she's she she issued a sort of mild rebuke um, of Boris Johnson uh, when she was in Canada yesterday, saying that she was driving the car mm. in reference to Amber Rudd's claim that Boris Johnson was backseat driving. Um, but uh, what she can concretely do, she's she's very constrained. Right? She is very constrained. Yes, 
Um, it's not entirely within her control which direction she's being told to go. Right. Dan, just on the, on that Ollie Robbins question, will he be missed in the negotiations? Will his his disappearance make a difference or or his sort of sort of reassignment make make a difference in Brussels? I understand actually that he will be here. So um, okay. uh, the officials at Crepe are insisting nothing's changed. Um, he's not been sacked. He's not quit. He's mm. just sort of just a new boss, uh, and he will be just as involved um, as, as he was previously. And but this time be a bit more of a tribune it would see for, for the prime minister, which is drinking her hand. And that's actually quite reassuring to the EU because he's um, he's well liked. He's well known. Um, I know sort of the very highest levels of the Commission. They were. They were actually quite hopeful that he, right at the beginning, that he would be the chief negotiator rather than Davis. They thought, you know, from, they, from their position, Robbins understands the realities, as they would put it, of, of the situation. Yeah, it's sort um, of a safer well, pair of hands for them than uh, yeah, David Davis. For them, anyway, yeah. 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 I mean, whether, you know, they, well. they... All right. Rowena, you've said that it's actually now very difficult for us to say what might be in the Prime Minister's speech. I suppose the other thing, the other factor that will play into what she's able to say is the fact that it's only a very short time before the, the, the Conservative Party conference, isn't it? How much will that weigh on her mind uh, in, in the speech that she gives on on, on Friday? Um, I expect it'll be weighing hugely on her mind. I think part of the point of this speech was to try and um, stamp her authority on, on Brexit before the party conference, get ahead of the game and stop all the uh, the leadership speculation and, and um, complaints about the direction that Brexit's going by setting out her stool before party conference. But um, if, if, if she doesn't have much to announce on Friday, then... Um, or, or indeed, if Boris Johnson's very unhappy with what she announces on Friday, we could see some real high drama in the weeks mm. to come. And Dan, what do you think the Europeans are expecting from from this Florence talk? What would they? I mean, in an ideal world, what would they? What would they like to hear? And what do they fear they might hear? Well, I think they're expecting. I don't think they're expecting much. I mean, they have sort of. They're, they're going to comment on it, which they don't usually comment on um, sort of Brexit shenanigans on the other side of the, the channel, but they're preparing to comment, comment on it. And um, I know that there was, you know, if we have Giefer Hofstadt was going to have a right go at Theresa May for ducking out, talking to the, to the whole European Parliament, but then he decided not to because of the Florence speech, because he was hopeful that it was going to actually provide some substance and move things on. Um, but I think in reality, actually, the last few days has, has reduced expectations. Um, they hope they hope would be that um, Theresa May would say, right, we accept the sequencing because right. they initially accepted the sequencing, then they stopped accepting the sequencing and said, well, we, no, no, we need to talk about the future now. They would, they would love the UK to say, look, we're going to sit down and do as we promised right at the start and accept the sequencing to sort of make progress on these three so, issues. Sort Article 50 we, out first before the future Exactly. And but maybe maybe just say, look, yes, we've got a bit bogged down, so we understand it's going to take until December, but we are going to sort these three issues and you know, mm. give that promise. Then uh, they would hope, and I think maybe this was the initial intention from Downing Street, was to um, people would explain a bit more what the transition period would look like. I mean, Hammond had gone some way on that. Mm-hmm. The, the Prime Minister had talked about it as well, you know, the status quo, essentially. Mm. That would be great. And then and then say, not necessarily spell out on the money what you're going to hand over, but actually say, and we are going to make a proposal on the methodology and the money. Because currently, what's irritating the EU side is that the negotiations of the money involves EU setting out what they want, 
and the British then interrogating that position and questioning it and mm. sort of saying, no, that's, we don't legally do that. It, it's kind of not a negotiation, it's more just a sort of Q&A. So a, a, a nitpicking exercise rather than... A nitpicking, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, that, and what they want from the British is, okay, um, we've done our interrogation and here is what our methodology would be. And then from that, when you've got, you've got two opposing papers and you can sort of make some progress... That they would hope Theresa May would indicate that that's where she's going to go. I mean, it just it seems extremely unlikely. But you know, this this um, this sort of position needs this impasse needs to be broken. So I think she needs to do something. Something will need to be done. Okay. Well, we shall see. We'll find out in a few days' time. That's about it for this week. Thank you very much, Rowena in Westminster, Dan in Brussels, for joining me. Next week, Brexit means we'll be marking six months since Article 50 was triggered. And we're going to attempt a bit of a catch-up exercise on where things stand and what to expect next. If you have any specific questions, do please email us. It's Brexit Podcast. That's all one word, Brexit Podcast at theguardian.com. Please subscribe and review on all your favourite podcatchers. Till next week then, I'm John Henley. The producer was Rowan Slaney. This was Brexit Means, and thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. 1-800-CLUB-MED or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.